The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. What's happening tonight, fans, and welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you. Uh, in uh, on a rainy Thursday morning is when we're recording this uh, here in uh, here in Orlando. But um, well, two wins for basketball last night on a Wednesday night. That's why we're recording this on Thursday morning, and nothing really, really to sneeze about. All the I don't know concerned at all. We'll figure it out as we go along. Um, remember to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, uh, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. Facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. Brian Murphy, how are you? Good, Jeff. I I enjoy how you preface two wins by basketball teams with concern. You're right. Well, this this is Jeff staying on brand of panic all the time. Either that or I'm just an accurate reflection of our fan base. Uh, Eric Lopez, what's going on, man? I am doing fantastic. Uh, Last last episode, Murph was the one that was uh, on very, very not a lot of sleep. Due to work. Uh, this week it's my turn. I'm not in on a lot of sleep. That's because I chose to stay up to watch Rafael Nadal beat the crap out of Stefano Tsitsipas in the yeah. Australian Open semifinal. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing why the, the men's basketball team has any concern. We, 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 we all have to be proud of something, I guess. Um, remember to subscribe to our podcast on uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. We've got a lot to talk about men's basketball women's basketball we'll talk a little bit about uh you know the men's team's uh, chances of getting into the tournament uh we will talk about women's basketball really the concern i thought was a little bit about them because they got taken to overtime by ecu uh and kk Wright is hurt uh actually rolled her ankle in that game still managed to play but uh ugh, blowing a 10 point lead in the fourth uh, to start the fourth yeah they pulled it out in overtime but it wasn't pretty uh, and we'll also talk uh, AAF, Alliance of American Football, uh, and the Orlando Apollos and the UCF guys that are there with, believe it or not, a UCF guy, T- Tom Alexander, um, the team reporter for uh, for the Orlando Apollos, an old buddy of ours, Eric Lopez, from our WNSC days of students joining us. Um, yeah, he, I, I, co- I co-hosted radio shows with him as a student radio back in the day. Uh, right. So did I. Yeah, it's good. So I so it's yeah, we happy, all did. yeah we all did yeah I got the last laugh right now yeah I know <laughs> well I'm happy for, I'm super <laughs> happy for Tommy because um what a what what a cool uh, what a cool place for a cool guy like him to work so we'll talk with him about the AAF and what's going to be happening on campus at UCF with the at Spectrum Stadium where the Apollos are going to be playing all the former UCF guys on the roster that should be fun and we'll talk a little bit about uh, tennis opening up their season for UCF and the. Uh, uh, some contract extensions and the UCF Hall of Fame uh, getting restarted a little bit here. Something that we've been talking about for a while, but um, that'll be, but that's on our agenda for a little bit later on. Right now, however, let us talk about UCF basketball. Let's start with the men's team, who uh, part of the reason why we're recording this this morning is they and the women's team played last night. Uh, the men's team was at New Orleans and just disposed of Tulane last the Tulane's last place in the American anyway but uh did what they were supposed to do 75-50 was the final uh they held uh, they held Tulane to a uh, remarkably consistent 9 of 27 from the field in each half 
33% for the game. The Knights were up 22 at the half and just stiff-armed them the rest of the way. Uh, for UCF, it was uh, another great day for Aubrey Dawkins, 7 of 13, 19 points. B.J. Taylor added 17 on uh, 8 of 15. Uh, Colin Smith was in double figures again with um, 11. And uh, the Knights uh, continue to do, I guess, exactly what they're supposed to do, Brian Murphy. They advance uh, in their schedule to uh, 15 and 3, 5 and 1 in the American. No real surprise, but, uh, you know, after that loss to Wichita State, um, where it seemed like everything went, went Wichita's way, you couldn't really let them beat you twice. And uh, what does UCF do? Well, they beat Tulsa uh, on a, in a last-second game where they struggled throughout the whole game, but then came back in the second half and then held off Tulsa for the win at home. And then you go and you take care of business against Tulane by 25. I don't know about you, but that, that kind of gives me, as a fan, a little bit more confidence in this team after a loss like that to Wichita, don't you think? Well, yeah, you, I mean, you'd much rather see, like, for a game like this with Tulane, you'd much rather see them win by 25 than win by four. Right. Which is actually what, which is actually what happened with Memphis when they went to Tulane uh, a couple weeks ago, which we'll get to them in Memphis later. Um, I screwed up that segue. That segue should have been saved for later on in this conversation. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, yeah, I don't know if we learned anything from this game last night. Like, you know, UCF – didn't need to shoot 50% from the floor to win this game. Uh, they were hot shooting in the first half. They probably didn't need all that hot shooting to win uh, comfortably, but they, they still got it. Hey, you know, Tulane had 19 turnovers, and there was some good UCF defense and, and deflections and whatnot. Some of it was just Tulane is just awful. It is really like they're one of the 50 worst teams in basketball. Yeah, and they're pretty bad. And they're teams. So, I, I mean, they are – there is a, a large – there is a large gap between – them and the next worst team in the conference. It really is. They are in a, they are in a realm by themselves at the bottom of the, at the bottom of the AAC. And so UCF does what they should do, and that sets up uh, a really intriguing, uh, important big Sunday game in Memphis, which is kind of the end of this little road trip. It prefaces two home games coming up, uh, and it, you know we talked about after that Wichita State, you know that Wichita State game. Uh, that they had this stretch where they had six games in about 18 days. And if they went five and one, you would be absolutely over the moon. Yeah, that was really solid. I think four and two is expected. And now they've got themselves set up with a win at Memphis to go, uh, or at least put themselves in position to go five and one, because then after that, they come back home and face UConn. But uh, if they lose in Memphis, now you have to beat UConn to go four and two in this stretch. If you win at Memphis, you said you'd love to go five and one in this in this six game stretch, and that's really I think something that you can, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a segment of the schedule that that is pretty impressive. I th- I think that the the key to this this particular these two wins after Wichita has been Colin Smith um, in particular. You know, obviously we talked about how he hit he had double figures um, last night uh, against the Green Wave, but I thought he was fantastic against Tulsa. Even though his box score didn't look overly impressive, he did. He was he did score thirteen points. He was only three of nine from the field, but he was seven of eight from the line, and he caused havoc in the second half on the interior for the Knights. So, and even at times when Taco Fall had to leave the game, uh, especially in the, in the Tulsa game, where Tulsa just couldn't guard anybody down low. But again, we for some reason they just didn't bother to feed 
guys like Taco Demo until they decided to get on that run in the second half when the Knights were down and at a point where it looked well, like Tulsa was hitting, it looked like Tulsa was hitting everything in that game. But Colin Smith, I think, was instrumental in leading them back. No. Well, they yeah, tried but, to though, right, right, Murph? I mean, they tried to go inside. They just couldn't make a shot in the first half. Well, the, again, they talked about how the, the zone defense that that Tulsa plays is kind of unique. There, there's not many teams that play it. Uh, it's very trouble. They trouble kind of, you know, shooting over that zone. They would go inside, which is really their only offense. But again, Taco was in foul trouble. We can't like say like, well, they, you know, they they tried to establish him and they couldn't do it. Like he didn't play a whole lot, especially in the second half. Um, because he picked up a technical, which is a personal foul. So it was really upon Colin Smith to be the offense in the post. They had to go to the post because it was the only thing that was really working. And he was the, he's their best offensive option when Taco's not on the floor, obviously. Uh, he really could be their most well-rounded offensive option as a post player, period. Uh, and, and he came through. And I think you saw that again last night as well. Taco picked up two early fouls. Taco and Chad Brown both had two fouls early on. So that's why, that's why you saw... Uh, uh, Colin play a lot more minutes. He played 17 minutes in the first half. Uh, and that's why his box score looks pretty good because they need him to come in and give minutes down low. And I'll tell you what, Colin Smith, so he's had like a, a game and a half where he's been really good. Maybe his best basketball, his best 60 minutes of basketball have come in the past few days. He was really bad in the first half against Tulsa. And they're going to need him again against Memphis. He's going to be huge. With Memphis pushing the ball up and down the floor, they run a top 10 pace. Mm -hmm. I think they're seventh in the nation in pace. And that is not Taco's game. We've seen him get neutralized pretty heavily against teams that really run the ball up and down against a a, a team that can be athletic at all spots. Uh, So this is going to be a Collins Smith game again. If they're going to score in the low post, he's going to need to come up big again this Sunday. Well, as we look at the... This is the part where, you know, we're approaching February. Now we got to start paying attention to positioning for the tournament because UCF right now, they are right smack dab in the middle of the 30s in those net rankings. Uh, they're, thir- they're at 35th behind Florida State and Cincinnati, just two spots behind Cincinnati. Uh, one spot ahead of Indiana and uh, and Florida. Memphis, interestingly enough, is in the 60s right now uh, at 66th. Now, I want to... They've been moving up. They've they been have been, up. yeah. Houston, by the way, seventh. And I wanted to bring this up because, um, and I want to credit Matt Brown uh, from the mothership uh, at SB Nation for bringing my attention to this. I've never seen this. The Bracket Matrix. If you go to bracketmatrix.com, this is uh, this is interesting. I kind of nerded out about this. Um, it basically aggregates 87 different bracket prediction uh, 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 establishments, uh, if you will, and uh, aggregates them all into one sort of master seeding, uh, uh, seeding sort of, well, yeah, matrix. <laughs> um, right now, yes. they have UCF as a 10 seed and kind of the lowest of the 10 seeds. The Knights are in only 66 of the 87 Brackets, and to put that into perspective, um, somewhere in the neighborhood, basically every team that's a sixth seed is listed in all eighty, from one through six. It's all the way down to to that. I think we have two of the seven, two of the four seven seeds are, are ranked in all of them. One of the eight seeds is ranked in all of them. Uh, and so here are the, some of the teams that are around UCF in this in this bracket matrix: Seton Hall, Texas, St. John's. Uh, are 
above UCF as 10 seeds. The 11 seeds they have, Minnesota, Washington, Butler, Arizona State, and Arizona. So, um, and, and of course, they do, they do account for, um, and the reason why they have those 11, extra 11 seeds is because they do account for the, um, the uh, play-in game. So, uh, it, Looking at this, you know, right now of the at-large teams that they're saying, the teams that will get at-large bids, one, two, three, four, five. UCF is the is the. There are five at-large teams just below UCF uh, in terms of what they're what they're predicting at least. So, do you guys agree with that? UCF right now looking like an at you know if it goes to the at-large that they would be a ten seed right now because I'm getting a lot of mixed messages. I'm hearing people talk about how the conference should have. Four bids, and I agree with that because they've been so good. But then I'm hearing a lot of people who aren't that high on uh, on the Americans. So um, I don't know. What do you think about the chances are? And uh, I guess Murph will start with you. Oh, good. Uh, can I subvert this entirely? <laughs> of course. Can why I, not? Can I, can I completely? Can I completely cut cut this conversation off at the knees? Okay, go for um, it. So, so last year, remember Oklahoma with Troy Young, mm-hmm. and they had the first bracket announcement, and Oklahoma was a four. Even though they were coming off a losing streak, they were like, wow, they're a top four seed in the first bracket announcement. And we're not even at that point in this season yet. And they were four. They ended up as a 10 because they were so bad down the stretch. People said they shouldn't have even gotten in the tournament. Probably Trey Young is the reason why they got in the tournament to begin with and to end with. Uh, to have this conversation in January is asinine. And that's all I will say. Eric? Let's continue to be asinine. Go for it. Well, Murph, as someone who's actually working on a preseason softball bracket uh, for com, I really appreciate the uh, the excitement over bracket, brackets uh, out in January. All right, um, point taken. First of all, I mean, to Murph's point, he's got a point. I mean, there's so much basketball to go that things could change in a dime. I mean, one bat. Look at Temple's a great example. Temple a week ago was solidly in, and then they lost the pen. And that's why Temple now has dropped into the 60s and the net, and they're on the outside looking in. And that's the one negative in the league. That's why, the, I mean, don't sniff at the Tulane win. I mean, I know they're terrible, and they are. I mean, Mike Dunleavy. Uh, it, it, and this, again, credit yeah. to Danny White. This is a difference. You know, I, I'm going to enter my inner Kurtz jerks when they used to chant good coach, bad coach. Uh, we saw that in this play here with Johnny Dawkins compared to Mike Dunleavy in college basketball. Uh, so props to Danny White on that because as Tulane has seen has shown uh, a bad hire can set your program way back but as far as this I think ECF's a nine or a ten seed I think that's very valid um you know from that standpoint I mean the American right now is looking at a three-bid league with Houston Cincinnati and UCF and UCF currently would be the second or third team depending on how you rate them against Cincinnati uh you know the thing that UCF's got going for them is the win against Alabama keeps looking better and better uh, Alabama just crushed Ole Miss this week. They've beaten Kentucky. The negative is that FAU loss, the bad loss. And that's really the only reason why UCF's probably a 9 or a 10 seed instead of a 7 or an 8 seed. Uh, what's fascinating to me is with Memphis and Penny Hardaway, who in his first year here, this is a huge week for Memphis. This, this mm-hmm. UCF-Memphis game has turned out to be a bigger game than I think we even anticipated before the season. Uh, Memphis, as we record this, will be playing Temple Thursday night. That is a huge game. And mm-hmm. then after that, they host UCF. Memphis, if they were to beat Temple and UCF this week, I think they get themselves into the conversation for the NCAA tournament 
in Penny Hardaway's first year. Now, as Murph can uh, attest to, since we both saw them, uh, Tubby Smith did not leave him the cover bear. They got some good players. Uh, but Penny's done a nice job, Murph, and I know you're heading up there. That's a huge game with Memphis 4-1 and one in the conference. Uh, and Temple, you know, they're going to be playing this in Philadelphia on Thursday night, and then Memphis will host UCF. That is a huge game uh, for both UCF and Memphis this early in the year. It's a big week for Memphis. It's a program ahead of schedule, and it's a program that, while they can be competitive, and yes, if they have a good week here, Memphis can be in the conversation with the tournament. Uh, looking at the future of this Memphis program, they're going to dominate this conference, I, I think, in, in short Oh, don't get telling me that. I don't want to hear that. Please, no. Within two to three years, you look at the kids that Penning's already bringing in. He's already got the number one recruit from the up, from the incoming high school class. Uh, he, It's going to be scary. It's gonna be, and I don't know if it's going to be Kawapari great, but that's what we're looking at with this Memphis team in two to three years. Investigate. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, well, no, look, in all honesty, though, Murph, if you're the if you're Mike Oresco and you're the American, that's music. That that's exciting news because yeah. I think the one thing that's hurt the American, at least from a perception standpoint, Jeff, what you were kind of alluding to about, is I think a lot of people thought Memphis and Connecticut would be a lot better. They've kind of not really uh, carried their own weight you, in the you, league. You know, it's since Calhoun left, or I'll, I'll you know, obviously Kevin Ali won the national title. Uh, early on, but they've kind of fallen on hard times. And Memphis, you know, under Passioner at the end there, just wasn't what they were. That's kind of hurt the league a little bit. I think they banked on Memphis and Connecticut to be a lot better. And I, I do think with Penny Hardaway and the way he can recruit, we don't know if he's a great coach, but in college you don't have to be a great coach if you're a great recruiter. With mm-hmm. him and, 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 and you know, Hurley now at UConn, that's positives for the league moving forward. I agree with Murph on that. I don't know about the dominating part. But I do think Memphis is on the rise. You know, I, it's funny that you mention that because I do think that there's this perception problem with the American, with the West Coast Conference too, where if you don't have those name, those brand names that everyone knows that are good, they just assume that the league is bad when it actually probably isn't. Um, we've seen how good Houston is, but there's just this assumption that because Memphis and UConn are not up to are not up to snuff as they usually are that. Oh, it's a bad year for the American, but I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think that, you know, for example, no. Houston is any worse than maybe Memphis would be in a good year, or UConn for that matter. Well, I yeah, think it's, I, you're right. I, I think the name is a good point because I think you look at the Big East, like Villanova's down, St. John's is good, but I think Houston's better than St. John's. Yet the perception would be that the Big East is far superior to the American. I think the American is actually pretty close to the Big East for that number five spot as far as best conference in college basketball. And as we've documented on this podcast, and Murph would know since he used to cover the other this conference, the Pac-12, I think the American is far superior to the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, well, I think, yeah. A, a, lot, a lot of things are superior to the Pac-12 right now, which is a complete <laughs> dumpster fire. Yeah, it well, really is. To, to, be, to be fair, like, you know, looking at this um, bracket matrix, they, they do project who the conference winners would be. They yes. and they project it to be Washington, uh, and they and they have Washington as an eleven seed. And to give you an example of who's ahead of them, well, Buffalo in the MAC, Nevada and Mountain West, Marquette in the well, Big both East. Teams are great. Both yeah, those teams are great. Houston, Houston. Those teams, but those teams are those teams are great. Yeah. The problem, so what you like, you can you can just say like Washington as the conference winner would be an eleven seed. Yeah, that's what but I'm can saying. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Because Buffalo, Buffalo is fantastic. Uh, Marquette uh, is fant- is really good with Marcus Howard, who can put up fifty on any night. Mm-hmm. Nevada is a, a, could go back to the Elite Eight, uh, but 
when you look at the Pac-12, we're getting way off course, but this is kind of what I like. Can you can you imagine the Pac-12 being a one-bid league? And this is not a new conversation. People have been talking about this for about a month and a half because this league is awful. And oh, it yeah. could very well could very well be a one-bid league. So uh, yeah. and that, it should be. If you want to draw, it should be. It should it be. Should right be. now it should be. And so if you want to draw it back to the AAC, that opens up spots you didn't think you had, especially with the Big Ten not being as great at, at the middle right now. Um, team, uh, teams like Ohio State are dropping. So now you've got power conferences probably not going to get as many bids as we thought in the preseason. And that does open up more opportunity for your temples and your members if they get hot, uh, you know, and, and teams in the and teams like uh, conferences like the American. Yeah, it's true. I, I yep, they do have Arizona, Arizona State also in the field, at least at this point. But yeah, I mean, the fact that we're even having that discussion about one of these supposed power conferences being maybe even a one bid league, I think really shows you the parity of college basketball now. And, and, and you know, certainly the American is a, ben- is a beneficiary of that. So Pac-12 well, like, having as many bids way. as the American is, yeah, I could see that. Put it to this way. The Tulsa team that UCF just beat, who's two and four in the conference, knocked off Kansas State, who I think might be the second best team in the Big 12 and is a final four contender. Yeah. 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 That's a pretty good point. So, We'll take a we'll keep I'll have to keep an eye on this and we will definitely mention obviously that Memphis game coming up on Sunday at four PM on CBS Sports Network is going Murph's to be, be big. There. And Murph is gonna be there. We're gonna have a live blog yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so yeah, we will have that. That's why and- he's going he's- that's why he's going. He's for the live blog. Yeah, and uh, and keep and by the way, key to that coming to, coming back home, like you said, Murph, that home game against UConn, you got a you got a nice rest after that Sunday to Thursday. Right. That's um, why we look at this six game segment as like as we do because after that UConn game, uh, then you get a week to prepare for a home game against Houston. Yeah. So, and uh, funny how the schedule actually works out in UCF's favor this year uh, with all that. So. That's a look at the men's team, at least as of right now. 15 and 3, 5 and 1 in the American, and 10 and 1 uh, at home. So, and of course, like we mentioned, that next uh, game on the road at at uh, Penny Hardaway in Memphis. Boy, that sounds weird saying. All right. Um, let's flip over to the women's side, uh, who also played on Wednesday night uh, and uh, got the victory over ECU, but uh, that doesn't really tell the entire. <laughs> The entire story of this game. Um, first of all, early in the game, um, UCF seemed to you know take control fairly early. They were up double figures, and then KK Wright uh, on a play I didn't see it. Maybe you did, Eric, because you were watching the game. KK rolls her ankle, and so she has to leave. Um, still, UCF kind of held them at bay as they started the second half. Coach A put KK back in there to kind of give the team a little bit of a spark in Greenville. Um, and that worked at least for the time being. But then in the fourth quarter, ECU comes storming back. The Knights were up 10 at the start of the fourth, um, but ECU erases that lead and forces overtime uh, in the uh, – and KK misses a three that would have – first of all, it was a – ECU hit a three to tie the game with 10 seconds left, and then uh, KK misses a three at the horn – and to overtime we go all of a sudden. Um, and in the overtime, let's just say it wasn't exactly the most picturesque exhibition of basketball. UCF outscores ECU 5-2 to two in the overtime frame. They shoot 1 of 8 from the field in OT and uh, were only saved by the fact that ECU shot 0 for 7 
in OT. They're only two point. They're only two points came on foul shots. So, uh, man, it wasn't pretty. But once again, it seems like we see this quite frequently with this team. It's not pretty, but they get the job done. Sixty-one fifty-eight in overtime, and the Knights uh, once again uh, just tally another American Athletic Conference win. Six and zero in the league. Uh, tied at the top with UConn, seventeen and two overall, and that, by the way, is heading into a game in Hartford on Sunday against Geno and the UConn Huskies at four p.m. on ESPN two. Um, Eric Lopez, we—I know you watched a bit of that game, and you know we watched you know from last weekend. You know, they obviously they took care of business against um, SMU in a really sort of wild game. Um, before they headed out on the road, but I'm really concerned about this KK right injury, as I know, um, as I know you are. Um, but what do you do from here? What What are the concerns that I think Coach Abe has to be uh has to be working on here in the next four days until uh, the UConn game? Well, here's the positive: she did come back in the game. Not that Coach Abe was happy that she had to bring her back in. In fact, she mentioned in the post game. You know, what What helped them get over the hump in overtime? She's like, KK Wright, bringing her back in because they definitely struggled without her. And, you know, she turned her ankle late in the first quarter, uh, missed the entire second quarter, came back to start the third quarter. Uh, they got up to about an 8-10 to 10 point lead. She, they took her out late in the third, didn't come back till late in the fourth when it got close again, and, you know, played overtime. So the good news is uh, – Whatever the ankle injury is, it's not serious to the point, you know, where you know there's nothing like, oh, she can't walk or anything like that. That being said, clearly, if you watch the telecast, she was not 100. percent Right. And that, and so to me, I think, and this might sound crazy, but you're playing a big showdown game with UConn. It's a nationally televised game on ESPN two. If she's not 100 percent with that ankle, which she may not, uh, if she's not even, uh, if she's 90, 80 percent, I would sit her out. I would sit her out and give her a week off because. As big as UConn is, let's be realistic. By the way, UConn just uh, thumped SMU by 40. That's what they did on Wednesday night. So um, they're, they're doing their thing. This UConn game is not the biggest game for UCF. The biggest games for UCF moving forward is Houston on Wednesday. You want to make sure you lock up that two seed. Right now, UCF's got a two-game lead on the pack on Cincinnati, right. Lane, Houston, Tulsa, Memphis. So, and if really, if things go to plan for UCF, they've put themselves in position to be an NCAA tournament team, even if they don't, even if they don't, you know, not win the conference. The thing that could hurt that is if KK Wright misses significant time, and now all of a sudden you're losing some games to some teams that hurt you on the resume. So I think they got to protect, and I think they will, and they will. And I and I would not be surprised if she doesn't play Sunday against UConn. That gives her a week to prepare for a home game against Houston and for down the stretch. Plus. This won't even be the most important UConn game on your schedule for UCF. They're going to host UConn later in the year, which I think is a bigger game because it's at home. You're going to have a chance to probably have the biggest crowd played at home. Granted, most of them will be from UConn. But nonetheless, you have a chance to have some casual fans come out to your, see your product. And then if things go as planned and you're the number two seed and you take care of business in the conference tournament, you'll probably see UConn in the in the championship game of the American. So, um I, I don't expect to see KK play unless somehow she is 100% with her ankle between now and Sunday. And we won't know that, obviously, until tip time. So uh, that was a scary situation because they clearly struggled, Jeff, offensively without her. They just could yeah. not run much offense. They turned the ball over. That was what got East Carolina back in. It was They forced some turnovers. But 
as I mentioned to you in the last episode, this team is going to still win on defense. And defensively, they shut down East Carolina at overtime. Just like in the SMU game, they were down, what, nine going into the fourth quarter and outscored SMU 24-4 to in the fourth quarter? Defense, when this team lights it up defensively, it helps them create baskets for other players offensively. Because you're right, when they are not forcing turnovers and they're playing half court, it basically all goes through KK. And when she's not on the court, they struggle. Yeah, I, it, it, some of the other players, I mean, KK finished in single figures uh, with only eight points and four rebounds. Uh, leading scorers for UCF against ECU, uh, Nye Schuler, who's not known as a scoring threat, had a fantastic game. Ten points, 12 boards, and she was five of six from the field. City McDonald hit, uh, was two of nine, but both of those were threes, so she finished with ten points. Um, eight points for Jamisha Paul, but I think that I think that you're right. I, I think that if you... I mean, my main concern is, you know, what what do you do when not necessarily UConn, but you know, if especially if KK is you know going to be banged up, you know, for the remainder of the year, even if she plays every game. I mean, you know, if you're not 100, percent you're not 100. percent So, who picks up that scoring load um, and and takes some of the pressure off of her? Is it Sydney? Is it Jamisha Paul? Do you bring somebody off the bench? Uh, it, it's well, I mean, what what they would tell you um, is. It could be coming from anybody. I mean, it was Sydney McDonald in the SMU game, right? I mean, it, it could come from anybody. So they right. have players that are have the ability to do it. They just don't have that consistent number two, but they do have players that can chip in. And you know, from a defensive standpoint, that's a good thing. Sometimes you don't know where the scoring is going to come from. It's tough to defend. So you would like to think good teams usually, when their star player is out, they'll step up and, and contribute. I think you saw that a little bit in the East Carolina win. The concerning thing is, though, forget the scoring, is running the offense. And that's what KK right. does. She runs that offense, and I, they struggle without with with her off the court. That's going to be the concern, uh, especially if she doesn't play against UConn. Although, you know, let's be honest, I think you're you're going to have problems against UConn. I mean, UConn <laughs> is a different level. Even if KK is 100 percent healthy, I would say UConn's at least a 20, 25 point favorite. I mean, right? I mean, that's kind of how they roll. And so, yeah. well, it's like uh, we always say, you know, you kind of have to like throw that game out <laughs> in a way. <laughs> Although yeah. I will say this, I will say this, you, you, UConn kind of went through the motions against South Florida, who's got their own injury issues, and, and they, USF hung with them. And Gino even said on the post game that he felt his team was immature because they kind of took the game for, uh, for granted because, oh, well, USF is banged up. They don't have Loxa. They don't have so-and-so. Maybe UConn takes UCF lightly here, especially if KK doesn't play. Maybe they let their guard down and I, you know, UCF matches up well from UConn from the style standpoint. They're not going to run with UConn, and they can defend. They held UConn to their fewest points last year when they played at UCF. So would it surprise me if UCF was competitive with them? No. The problem is going to be, I, I don't, especially if KK doesn't play, is I don't. they're going to have a hard time scoring against UConn like many teams do. Right. Yeah, well... Funny how UConn picks the USF game to kind of to kind of get the uh, to kind of get a little bit of a uh, scare in terms of their effort. They couldn't have come up with that effort against UCF, huh? Well, anyway, um, so and and yet here we are, you know, worried and panicking and all that. Well, here I am worried and panicking. Yeah, you, not me, um, right, Murph? We're co- very you guys never panic. Uh, and they're seventeen and two. And six and zero in the league. So that started the history of the program. That right, started the history of the program. Charlie Cream, who's the Joe Lenardi of women's basketball, uh, has them as a nine to a ten seed, I think, in the uh, women's bracket uh, as an at large. Their RPI is, I think, in the seventeen range. I mm-hmm. believe seventeenth. So, I mean, things are great. Six and zero in the league. 
I, I guess it's because I feel like we haven't seen, like, like I feel like we haven't seen the the absolute best of this team yet. I think that's why. There's always kind of been, you know, you know, so, something's not working, and that is a good thing. I, I guess I, 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 I kind of feel like they've let they haven't had their best stretch yet. They haven't peaked yet, so maybe they will in the next well, couple games. Well, and I, I could say the same for the men's team, and I don't, and I think that's, that's a good thing. You don't want to be peaking right now, and you want to be peaking is about a month from now. Yeah. to get down the stretch. True, but it uh, leaves you, but you, it leaves you wondering, like, you know, well, when will we ever have that moment? You know what I mean? If it, when it hasn't happened yet, which is such a fan thing to say, but I was going to say this team is seventeen and two. Let me repeat I, that. Yeah, seventeen me, and two, six and zero in the you, conference. Charlie Cream has him as a ten seed playing Missouri. In Palo Alto, this would be the first time in the history of the program in the Division One era they would make the NCAA tournament as an at-large. Right. And right. you're not, and you're concerned. I you're yeah. Like, I need to. You know, I'm I'm, I'm I'm just going to shut up. You and, listening to this, Murph? I, <laughs> I mean, how should I be surprised? Or uh, I'm not concerned about Jeffrey's concern because I wouldn't know what to. I would be concerned if he wasn't concerned. Right. Right. Then we know right. that someone if had I'm, hijacked Jeff Sharon. If I, yeah. If I'm concerned, that's when every one of you guys is worried. If you, if I am concerned, neither of you guys are concerned. So, all right, I'm going to shut up now so we can go to a break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk football. Tom Alexander, an old buddy of ours and the team reporter for the Orlando Apollos of the. Uh, AAF, the Alliance, uh, uh, several UCF, former UCF players on that roster. Steve Spurrier, the head coach, they're playing their home games uh, on campus at Spectrum Stadium. He gives us a little insight into um, the league, into the team, what to expect if you're a UCF fan uh, from this team that will be playing on UCF's field uh, in the next couple months as they start their season on February 9th, the weekend after the Super Bowl. Don't go away. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, in honor of UCF's 25-game win streak, Sam is running a special for the whole month of December. If you use him as your realtor to buy or sell your home, you'll receive up to $2,500 at closing. So, if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality. Eric Lopez here, and when you're not listening to me on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast yelling at Jeff Sharon or talking baseball with Brian Murphy, you can actually listen to me on another podcast with a fellow UCF alum, unlike smarter Victor Anderson and I, as we host In the Circle on Fast Pitch News twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. We cover all the world of softball. So if you're UCFA, we talk UCF, we talk how Coach Gillespie's going to do at Iowa, we talk the all the topics in college softball, pro softball, and international softball. So give us a follow 
on In The Circle SB on Twitter and on Facebook. It's In The Circle on Fast Pitch News twice a week on the podcast. Check us out there. Back now to the Black and Gold Bannerettes. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon back here uh, with you. Don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com where we are SB Nation's home for UCF sports. Uh, follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret as well, as well as facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. All right. Uh, I want to talk some football with uh, with you for this part of the show. And joining me now is an old buddy of mine, who is, uh, and I mean an old buddy of mine, <laughs> and uh, going back to when we were uh, when we were friends at UCF and students at UCF, and uh, he's now the team reporter for the Orlando Apollos. That's the Orlando franchise in the new Alliance of American Football. The team gets uh, will play at Spectrum Stadium. Uh, their opening game is February the 9th against the Atlanta Legends. And uh, a lot of UCF guys on this Orlando team because the AAF has done the what I think very smart thing in regionalizing a lot of the players to uh, franchises uh, relatively near where they went to uh, where they went to college. So, uh, welcome Tom Alexander, the team reporter for the Orlando Apollos. What's up, Tommy? Hey, Jeff. I'm glad you clarified that whole old friend thing, because at first I was like, does that mean I'm a friend who happens to be old, or does that mean we go way back? <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're, we're quickly approaching that, that one, too. Um, man, the Orlando Apollos, we've come a long way since the Orlando Stars, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I was just thinking about that uh, literally the other day, because uh, my wife still has my Stars t-shirt from those days and uh, i just gave her an apollos t-shirt she's like good i can finally throw this other one out <laughs> yeah i can't believe you even still have that I, I i must have gotten rid of mine a long time ago but uh this is a this is a new breed of uh football league. And, and um I, okay so i'm a huge nerd about uh, about leagues like you know the usfl and and the world league when we had the orlando thunder the UFL uh, had a franchise in Orlando for a time about 10 years ago. It didn't work out. It's just been such a, such a struggle. But here comes the, Amer- the Alliance of American Football. It's run by a number of former NFL guys. Charlie Ebersol is uh, the son of Dick Ebersol is the guy who uh, is the founder of the league. Um, Bill Polian is, uh, is one of the guys in charge of the football operations, along with former NFL players like Heinz Ward and Jared Allen and uh, and Justin Tuck, uh, uh, just name a few. Troy Polamalu is also involved in it. This is a this is a a league that the guys who are involved they're football people and they're taking it really seriously. So you've been with the team since the new year um, and you've been following around some of the guys in the league. What are, how is how are the Orlando Apollos and the AAF different from all the previous attempts? at having a second professional football league in the United States? Um, I would say um, the first thing, like you mentioned, the way the alliance is different is is the, the football people involved. Um, Bill Polian is our commissioner. Um, you know, Heinz Ward is our head of uh, football operations. Troy Palomalu heads our um, player relations side of things. Um, and, and his department is one of the things that I think is going to be revolutionary in the field. Um, the Alliance, like like no other league before it, including the NFL, uh, is putting an emphasis not just on player safety, but on whole life 
well-being. Um, you know, the Alliance is offering um, education assistance to players even beyond their playing days are over with the Alliance to help them finish their degrees, get a second degree. Um, there are all sorts of mental health services and overall well-being um, of players is a huge priority in the Alliance uh, to help the players be successful, not just on the football field, but beyond when it's over. And, and you know, as we've seen in recent years, um, there's been some controversy about the way pro football players are treated after they're done. And um, the Alliance has really put an emphasis on on that. Um, but just the, the people like that who are involved, and they're not involved in name only. Um, you know, Troy Palomalu and, and, and Heinz Ward, not to, to name drop those guys, but they're league executives and they are here in training camp in San Antonio pretty much every day. They're at one camp or another. We've got all eight teams here in San Antonio for training camp right now. And um, they're, they're around all the time. Yeah. I, 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 I did see that they were at, um, uh, that, that they were in uh, San, everybody was in San Antonio, which I think is kind of a smart thing to do to kind of get it kind of everybody on the same page. And then uh, you guys are heading back to Orlando, actually, in the next uh, week or so to get started. The team is playing at Spectrum Stadium. Give us, uh, uh, for the fans in Orlando who maybe don't know, I, I mean, I can't imagine they wouldn't know because the, the team's been doing some pretty good advertising. But but maybe for those who don't quite, who o- merely only know that the Apollos exist at this moment, how is everything going to work, especially for the local fans? How many home games they have? How's the season work and all that kind of stuff? Uh, it's a 10-week season, five home games, five road games. Uh, then there is uh, – it's an eight-team league. So there's four teams in each conference, the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. The top two teams in each conference will play uh, a playoff round in early April, and then we will have a championship game April 27th in Las Vegas. Yeah. So, and with these eight teams, by the way, some big time head coaches have been have signed on, and probably no name more popular than the head coach of the Orlando Apollos, Steve Spurrier. You've talked to uh, Coach Spurrier a bunch of times, I'm sure, in the time that you spent uh, in San Antonio with the team. Uh, how is he approaching this? Because you know, this is uh, you know, he's been out of coaching for a couple of years ever since his last uh, years at South Carolina, but. Coaching never really does seem to leave some of these guys, and and I know and and it's because they really do enjoy the opportunity to actually coach. How, how is Steve enjoying it, and is he really getting the opportunity to just be a coach and not have to worry about all that other stuff? Yeah, um, you know it's 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 funny because you know we all know Coach Spurrier the the sort of character in the interviews and how he you know especially when he first came on he, he sort of jokingly says well it's only you know four or five month job out of the year because our season is you know February to April and no recruiting year round and and all of those things and he's correct um but he you're right coaching never leaves you and it doesn't it hasn't left him he's he's very hands-on he is our offensive coordinator he's our lead quarterbacks coach um he's in there every day mentoring the four quarterbacks on our roster right now and and he seems to be happy and excited and and glad to be out there coaching and calling plays again the uh, uh the team itself I, I thought the league was really smart in doing this they've regionalized the rosters where they basically set aside regions where um you know if you went to college i don't know if high school is correct me if i'm wrong on that but 
um, it, it, basically, if you went to a college in Florida, you were assigned to the Apollos, and that I think is a smart thing that a lot of that a lot of um, people who'd speculated about uh, you know different leagues uh, you know underneath say the NFL should always work, and the Apollos made it work. So there's a bunch of UCF guys on the roster. Tell us who some of the familiar names are to UCF fans who uh, will be seeing uh, with this new team. Uh, well, we have Jeff Godfrey, the former UCF quarterback and wide receiver. Uh, we have Vernell Hall. Um, we've got some guys from more recent uh, UCF teams, too, like Jaquan Burkett and uh, Tony Garrod. Jordan McRae is a name you might know. Yep. Um, uh, Chris Martin on our offensive line as well. Um, so we've got, you know, Aaron Evans is another guy on our roster right now. So we, we've got uh, guys from uh, both. We'll say both heydays of UCF football. We've got some guys from the Scott Frost era, and we've got some guys from the the O'Leary, the Golden O'Leary years, that Fiesta Bowl team mm-hmm. uh, here in camp as well. How have they enjoyed this? You know, because those guys have all been. I talked to Chris Martin actually at um, when College Game Day was um, was on campus, and he was really excited about the opportunity because you know he'd been in NFL camps. He'd gotten hurt a couple times, and he's one of those guys. And there's and there's a bunch of them. And, you, and we've seen them all throughout the years. And now you see these guys up close that are right on that gray area of you know of you know plus or minus twenty guys who one break one way or the other, and they could be a, a solid NFL player or even a starter in the league. Um, but you know, one thing happens or another, and and all of a sudden they're out of the league. And this league is there to sort of keep them fresh and get and and provide resources to the NFL. Now I know there's not an, any sort of official um relationship between the AAF and the NFL, but this is good for the players because um you know, how do they feel about, you know, the opportunity to not just get on the field but um show off their wares for some of the scouts who may be out there? Um well, it is definitely a, a second chance league um and to a man, and I'm not even exaggerating, every single player I have to, I have spoken with in camp, and it's a lot, um, is grateful to be here, grateful for the opportunity. They're hungry. They're willing to learn. Um, you know, the coaches have spoken time and time again of not only is the talent level um, very high in this league and maybe higher than they expected in some cases, but the um, attitude of the players is uh, – excellent up and down the roster and, and it's coaches on on every team have said that uh this year so far um you know it's it's the football ecosystem um doesn't have hasn't had this for any length of time you know we've had uh other pro football leagues sort of turn up uh in the u.s over different you know times and you know when you look at the number of of football players who graduate and leave Division One schools every year, uh, it's you know look two hundred thousand thousands whatever the number yeah. is, and there are only a few hundred jobs in the NFL, and then a few dozen more in terms of practice squads and guys on the bubble. So this is a place where 
those guys who may be on the bubble or or like you said for one reason or another they get cut in training camp or mini camp or you know they're a a hundredth of a second slower than somebody on the wrong day or there's too much depth at this position and they want something else for whatever reason um this is a place for them to come get 10 games of of game speed film with high level talent that where they can you know that becomes then available to scouts and executives and coaches in the NFL who can look at that and say, all right, well, this guy's hurt or I need to fill this roster spot midseason or we've got an opening on our practice squad. Uh, this guy looks really good. Like we, he didn't look, you know, as good in our mini camp last year when we brought him in. But, you know, he's gotten some really high level coaching from guys like Steve Spurrier or Mike Singletary uh, who are in our league, Mike Martz is a head coach in our league, and, and we have a lot of great assistants as well. Um, they've gone in, gotten some high-level coaching, gotten some playing time, and, and you know, improved or at least put, you know, more on tape to show guys, show people what they can do. You know, the, the thing that I think is interesting along those lines is, you know, no one from the AAF has said, okay, we're kind of approaching our league as a developmental league from the NF, for the NFL. But, you know, like you were just saying – that is kind of there. So, you know, we know Charlie Ebersol is the, is, you know, basically the founder of the league. And um, it was interesting. Like he, he produced that documentary with, um, uh, with his dad, Dick Ebersol and Vince McMahon about the XFL and, yeah. and the revival of the XFL. I, I thought it was a smart move by the AAF to kind of dive in a year ahead of time uh, in front of the XFL and, they kind of have the pick of the talent, but you know, you know, Charlie's a pretty forward-thinking dude. And how have, from your interactions with you know him and some of the executives and the coaches and all that, how are they approaching this league different than a lot of the other leagues that we've seen? You know, going back to like the WLAF and the UFL and NFL Europe and those kinds of things. Well, um, it's you know nobody here shies away from the whole developmental league term i mean you know we are a professional football league and it is football at a high level but we know also that the goal of uh all of these players and a lot of the coaches too is to get back to the nfl at this point and and that's success for us when guys uh get picked up by nfl teams after playing here in the alliance but but the way uh charlie and some of our leadership uh has has said what he what they've said to us um in all of our discussions here in training camp is that it's a the alliance is a tech company that owns a football league so um you know we're doing some things with technology that haven't been done in football before and and our app when it launches uh closer to when the season starts and and some of the the things you're going to see in terms of uh data collection and interactivity that fans will have with the game and with the players um, and coaches um, are, are things that um, haven't really been tried before. Some of the things we're inventing as we go are proprietary in nature. And, and um, so it's really the alliance exists not just to, to grant opportunity to the players and the coaches, but it's the goal is to, to give back to the game and improve the game. So there are things being done to make the game safer. Um, you know, the goal is to play as with as few injuries as possible in our league. Um, but there's also a technological component and a, and a, like I mentioned before, a player wellness component, a component and 
things that are being done to to just improve football overall. Um, so it's it's the the whole uh, level of thinking is much more, I would say, optimistic and forward looking than maybe other professional football leagues have been in the past. Hmm. And that fan experience too, you know, like you said, that should be pretty interesting because you know there's going to be uh, you know football in the spring in Spectrum Stadium, and uh, and that's. I mean that's that's not a bad thing at all. Let me ask you about the team in particular because sure, um, it's hard to get uh, the to get a group of you know however many players you know forty fifty players on a roster to be a cohesive unit in the span of what three four weeks. Uh, guys right. who've never played together. It's it's basically you're assembling eight expansion teams. And, and, but so, and one of the things that I think is a big, is a big challenge for leagues and probably the biggest challenge that the Alliance has to overcome in the market is, is the quality of play question, right? It's always one of the things that I think some of the, some previous leagues have always kind of, kind of struggled with is, is that. So what are the, what are the Apollos doing in particular to try and Make sure that when they hit the field on February 9th for the opener against Atlanta, that this is a well-oiled machine, and it look and and these and this team is playing at it actually looks like a, a cohesive unit that's not just playing its first game out there ever. <laughs> um, well, I think some of that comes from the the quality uh, and experience of the coaches that we have in the league. Um, some of it has to do with just the way. We're running training camp. Um, everyone I've spoken with who has been part of an NFL training camp in some form or fashion uh, talks about how this is basically run in that manner with that level of, of quality and attention to detail. Um, I think some of that also comes from the, the regional allocations that we have in the alliance because you've got – guys who maybe haven't played together before, but we've got a lot of guys who did play together before because we've got some guys who were teammates at Florida State or UCF or Florida or guys that even if they weren't teammates in college, maybe they were opponents in college or they played high school ball together or against each other. Um, So a lot of these guys, even if they haven't been on the same team for a while, they knew each other coming in. Um, And and given that everyone here is – working to get that that second shot at their dream of playing professional football because even if they make whether they go to the nfl or not even if they make the final apollos roster or other alliance team roster coming out of camp um the salaries are a good living they won't have to hold down a second job while they're playing in the alliance so um it's there's an incentive there for all of them to get to know each other to work together um, overcome whatever differences there might be and, and really learn and soak it all in. Um, and the thing I've seen through two and a half weeks through camp here um, is that the, the team really has come together, um, I think, a lot faster than anyone expected. Um, the level of competition, not only for positions, but when uh, when we've had, you know, say a joint, we had a joint practice last week with the Arizona Hotshots, um, the level of of play and the amount of the level of talent on the field um, has really surprised everyone. I think I think when when week one rolls around on February 9th, I think people are going to be uh, pleasantly surprised at the quality of the product that's going out there. 
there are some pretty familiar names, you know, who didn't play at UCF on this roster too. For example, uh, Will Hill, who played at Florida, is there. Lewis Murphy, who has some NFL experience. The quarterback uh, for the uh, uh, ostensibly the starter, he was the first pick, in, uh, or the or the Apollos rather, first uh, round selection in the quarterback draft uh, it was Garrett Gilbert, who played at SMU and. Uh, before that, played at Texas. He's a pretty familiar face, too. Stephen Morris, who played at Miami, is going to be one of his backups. Um, but of all those guys, you know, uh, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. the Of the guys that you've talked to, who are yeah. the guys on this team who fans of the Apollos and people who end up following the team are going to kind of be the fan favorites? Uh, who are the guys who, who, who you talk to who are going to be like, you know what? These are the guys who are going to be, you know, wait till you get to Orlando because everyone's going to, everyone's going to be rooting for this guy. Um, I, I think there are a few of those guys. Um, you mentioned Lewis Murphy. Um, Lewis Murphy is a great story. He's, you know, he's one of the older guys on the team. He's been on five NFL teams. He's 31. Um, some of the guys call him Uncle Murph or OG <laughs> Murph. Um, you know, he was, he was getting ready to retire from football until, uh, the Alliance popped up and, um, you know, he's got some aspirations to maybe work in a front office someday, and he's here um, competing, playing hard in camp, mentoring the other guys, and uh, and also learning a lot about the business side of football at the same time. And um, he looks revitalized out there. Um, every time the ball's thrown his way, he's not afraid to go up and make a play for it. Um, you know, he's really pushing himself hard. Um, he, you know, he's, he's a guy people are going to want to root for. Um, obviously, you mentioned Garrett. Uh, Gilbert was our, our first round pick. Coach Spurrier hasn't really named a starter yet, but he does say Garrett is a little bit ahead of the other three quarterbacks on the roster. Um, and he's, you know, he was he played Week 17 for the Carolina Panthers this year and got into the game. I mean, he's he's one of those guys that has NFL level talent and poise. Um, you know, we've got um, you won't be able to miss somebody like Earl Okine, one of our outside linebackers who played at Florida. He's six seven. He'll be the biggest guy out there on the defense <laughs> when you come watch the Apollos. And he's just becoming a beast rushing off the edge in our 3-4. Um, he's going to be fun to watch. Um, and then we've got, you know, Marvin Bracey Williams, who's a former Olympic sprinter, uh, wide receiver who played at Florida State for a little while. Um, you know, we've got some electric athletic guys on both sides of the ball that really um, fans are going to enjoy watching. Well, I know fan, how much fans are going to enjoy watching Coach Spurrier's offense as well. Let me ask you about uh, some of the other teams that are out there. Um, you mentioned that uh, it's a it's an eight team league, four in the West, four in the East. You have teams in uh, in non NFL markets. For example, you have the San Diego Fleet. Um, you know, you have a team in Salt Lake City, a team in San Antonio, which is great. They're playing in the Alamo Dome. Um, some of the teams that Orlando is going to be playing against include uh, the Atlanta Legends, for example, which I think is the only is that the is that the only team that has a that that plays in the same city as an NFL franchise. Uh, the Arizona Hot Shots. Arizona, they play that's at right. Sun Devil, yeah. Sun Devil Stadium, but it's the Phoenix Market. So. Right, right. And then the Atlanta team plays. They don't play in the Dome. They play at Georgia State's uh, Stadium, Old Turner right. Field, too. Um, yeah. And Justin Holman, who actually used to play at UCF, uh, was one of their. Uh, quarterbacks on the roster as well. But when you look around the the other rosters and you see the other coaches, who are some of the teams that stand out that uh, that you know Apollo fans should keep an eye out for? 
Um, well, we had, a, like I said, we had a joint practice with Arizona last week. Rick Neuheisel is the head coach out there. Um, their offense, if you're a UCF fan, um, you're going to probably like watching their offense. They run that up-tempo kind of spread style, uh, athletic quarterbacks that can run. Uh, they like to throw it deep. Uh, so that's, they'll, they'll be fun to watch. They're going to put up a lot of points. Um, you know, you look at, uh, the Birmingham iron, they've got Trent Richardson at running back. Um, you know, that that's going to be fun to see him, uh, back out there getting after it again. Um, Michael Vick is making his coaching debut as a, as an offensive coach for the, uh, legends in Atlanta. So, um, uh, you know, not sure what kind of, innovative things he's going to bring to the table as a coach out there. And, and San Diego has Mike Martz as their head coach. And if you watched any football in the last 20 years, you know, <laughs> you know what to expect from a Mike Martz football yep. team. They're offense, offense, and more offense. <laughs> yeah. They're starting to call the San Diego offense, the greatest show on surf. Right nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, you know, that they're going to be, I think a fun team to watch as well. And, and, you know, the Apollos, we're, we're no slouch in the offense department either. We've got one of the greatest offensive minds in football ever uh, as our head coach and offensive coordinator. And, you know, he's – it's funny because, you know, everyone assumed coming in, okay, coach is going to run the fun and gun kind of thing. It's the stuff we've seen before. But he's really, even in his time away from coaching, become a student of offensive football and he talks a lot about how much offensive football has changed just in the last three years or so and um you're gonna see some new wrinkles in uh in this system and and some things that maybe you wouldn't expect from a steve spurrier offense but uh uh you can definitely expect it to still be aggressive and looking to put points up on the board some of us on the team staff have started calling the new 2019 version the the sun and gun because Apollo is the god of the sun, so um, we're really—I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what what these guys can do with all the all the speed we have on offense and running running that system. Well, opening day is fast approaching, February 9th uh, at Spectrum Stadium, uh, 8 p.m. Week one, uh, Orlando. I almost said UCF. Orlando plays. Um, the Atlanta uh, Legends, their home games are the 23rd against Memphis, uh, March the 16th against Arizona, and then they finish with back-to-back home games April 6th against San Diego and April 14th against Birmingham. All right, I, I, I want to talk about um, media and where teams can watch the Apollos if they if they can't get to Spectrum Stadium to watch the games in person. I know that the television contract is with CBS. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, we're going to have our first game, our launch game on February 9th. is going to be broadcast nationally on CBS, mainline CBS. Um, we're also going to have games on CBS Sports Network throughout the season. Uh, so UCF fans are familiar with that from a few years back watching UCF there. And, um, and uh, there could be some other things coming as well other ways to watch uh, alliance games but you'll definitely get your alliance fix on cbs and cbs sports network uh throughout the season the championship game will also be on uh, the main cbs network cool and the radio crew is also a couple of familiar names jamie say from uh from uh from channel six 
is doing play-by-play. I've known Jamie since I actually interned for her at Channel 9 in Syracuse some 12 years ago. <laughs> so I was so happy for her that she got there. Uh, Rennie Angolia, who's done his share of UCF games on uh, on the ESPN Family Networks. And Jerry O'Neill's working the sidelines. Have you talked with them? How, how excited are they to get this going? Uh, they're real. They're real excited, and and as a as a UCF grad and fan myself, I'm I'm really happy to be working with Jerry and uh, and the, our whole broadcast team. They're they're great. We're we're lucky to have uh, the level of talent that we have in the broadcast booth for our radio games. And you can listen to the Apollos on Real Radio 104.1. And uh, oh, by the way, since it's at Spectrum Stadium, I know that a lot of UCF fans are interested in coming and seeing some spring football. So. Uh, if they want to get tickets, Tom, how can uh, fans uh, come in, uh, come to Spectrum to see the Apollos? Uh, you can get tickets at orlandoapollos.com slash tickets. Um, you know, the tailgating fun at UCF doesn't have to stop just because the college football season's over. We're hoping to pack the bounce house and, and beat down Atlanta for our launch game on the 9th. Um, season tickets start at 75 bucks, and we've got about 30,000 tickets in the stadium that are in the $30 range. It's a real affordable night out for the family. So uh, OrlandoApollos.com slash tickets. Yeah, I'm taking a look at Ticketmaster now. I've got about 20 bucks a ticket. It's pretty good. Um, they, and and how's the how are they going to work out work that out with the stadium too? Because, um, you know, it's I, I know that they want to make sure that the stadium is as full as possible for these games. So um, how's it going to – any details on how it's going to work inside Spectrum Stadium? In terms of what just exactly? just in general seating, you know where where most of the fans going to be seated when they come to see the game. Um, as far as I know, all of the stands are open, just like it would be for a UCF game. We're not closing off any sections. Um, you know, part of part of the the sort of blueprint in the alliance is you know we're playing in college stadiums to start um, to you know so that we can make sure we pack everything in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, but, uh, yeah. So as far as I know, we're not closing anything off. We want to pack that place and get it rocking just like if the Knights were on the field. Super smart, man, because it's, uh, it's the right venue for a league like this. And it just seems like everything has been, uh, every, every move that they've made has been the exact right move. So good stuff. And where will we be able to catch your work, Tommy? Because you're a UCF alum, you're, you're hashtag built by UCF too, you know? That's right. That's right. I am proud of it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the Tom Alexander uh, Instagram. I write and I know stuff. Um, and you can see uh, my uh, Apollo's insider reports on the Apollo's social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of those things. We are at AAF Apollo's. All time. My great. articles appear every day on OrlandoApollo's.com. All time. Great uh, Instagram handle, by the way. <laughs> I always love that ever since I've seen you on that. So, Tom Alexander from the Orlando Apollos team reporter once again opening night for the Apollos at Spectrum Stadium, complete with uh, well about about eight different UCF uh, alumni. February 9th, February 9th, twenty nineteen. That's a Saturday night. So Saturday nights are going to be fun at uh, Spectrum once again. Tommy, thanks again. Congratulations on working with the Apollos. I'm real happy for you. And uh, stay in touch. I'm hoping I'll see you at some games this year. Yeah, I hope to see you there. Thanks, All right. Jeff. All right. All right, and thanks again to uh, our buddy Tom Alexander. Again, uh, AAF Apollos on Twitter. Um, I don't know about you guys. I've, I mean, I've said this before, but you know, I'm actually pretty excited for, for this team. It seems like they're they're pulling 
all the right strings in order to try and make a a, a, a second professional league work. They know what their place is. They know what um, they know what they can do. They know what they shouldn't do. And I, I'm excited for it to for it to get started. I don't know about you guys, but um, I kind of like having a, a a pro football team and seeing guys develop uh, in the spring. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. Am I? Here's what I'll say about it. Obviously, you know, hopefully it works out for them. It's cool. I'm not against, you know, more sports. I do think um, the spring has become a lot harder. I don't – I know there are a percentage of people that just want football year-round and all that. I get that. But I don't think it was – there's a lot of competition now. Uh, obviously, the NBA now, for example, is bigger than ever before. I mean, it is a strong, arguably a strong number two sport as far as in the United States and globally uh, from a popularity. You got Major League Baseball is about to start up. They're doing fine despite what, you know, they're very well. Um, you've got MLS now, which, you know, in their markets are doing well, respectively. Uh, you got college baseball, college softball going on, PGA golf going on, Tiger Woods. About. There's a lot of stuff going on to follow, and it'll be interesting to see how they do, as long as their expectations are realistic. Because I feel like leagues before did not have realistic expectations. Yeah, I, I think, think you're right. As, it, and the thing I do think is it feels like, Jeff, and, and you know, I've listened to the conversation, the thing that's a positive for this league is I feel like they have their expectations are realistic. Yeah, I think that's true. That? Yeah, def- that's definitely the case. And and you know, Tommy alluded alluded that alluded to that as well, is that the expectations for success are realistic. And also, I, I think that the most important thing is they're not approaching this from a businessy gimmick standpoint. They're focusing on the quality of the football first. Every one of these kinds of leagues, the 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 quality of play is what eventually led to their downfall. And you can say that about. The first go round with the XFL, you could say that about the World League. You could say that about, uh, it, 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 well, really, you can't say that about the USFL because the quality of play in the USFL actually picked up over the course of its, you know, brief three years of existence. But it's the foot. It, the football comes first, and I think if the football comes first, you know, they can find their niche. And I think it's also worth saying, it's kind of what you alluded to, Eric, is you know, let's say the magic. You know, it peter out to finish out the year. Orlando City has kind of lost their momentum from the first couple years of that franchise's existence. They they had such a, a good start, and now it seems like they're blowing it. So if the Apollos and Steve Spurrier can gain a little bit of traction in this first season, you know, win some games, ultimately people want, you know, customers, the paying customer wants to see a quality product and wants to and wants to have a good time. They want to see a team that wins. And if this team can win, you know, I mean, that's that, that to me is probably the, it, well, it is, it's, it, you are what your record says you are as, as Bill Parcell said. And I think that's, that's true for every team in every league. I would just like to say too, that yes, I, I do hope everything goes well for the, the players. And, and certainly that we talked about the broadcasters whom, you know, we all know, uh, yeah, Jamie and, and, sure and Rennie and all those guys. Yeah, we're very excited for this league. Uh, I would just like to say my stance comes from a selfish fan perspective. Of I, I'm a person who does not need football around the calendar. I need a break, especially after all the money I lost in DFS this year. <laughs> it was not. It was wow. not good. 
So oh let's boy. move on to baseball and try it again. Yeah. Well, yeah. Look, I do think there's a percentage of people that mur- – I mean, look, I mean, arena football used to be big, and yeah. now it's not. And partly it's because they were the way they run themselves to the ground. Uh, but they kind of, you know, they took, you know, that people got, I mean, I do agree. I think there are people in sports in general today. It's fascinating, Jeff. It's so different than when we grew up, right? Because when we grew up, we watched everything. At least yeah. We did. Because first of all, that was, you know, that was the only thing that was on. So, that was, for example, yeah. if, if, if tennis was the only thing on Nash on TV, that's what you're watching. Well, now you don't have to. Now everybody has so many options. That they can watch whatever they want. If you're a football person, you can watch the NFL Network year round. If you're an NBA person, you watch the NBA year round. Baseball. If you're not even a, if you don't want to be a sports fan, you don't have to be because you can watch all your programs, whatever you want to watch. And I think, you know, we're seeing that with attendance in sporting events and everything. That it's not like it used to be. We're like, hey, let's go see the sporting event. And the, no, we got a million options in Orlando. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, let's brag, boys. I mean, there's a reason why Murph came back to Orlando. It's a beautiful city. It is the city beautiful after all. <laughs> There is the it's the most number one tourist place for a reason. Uh, look at the weather outside. I mean, when you're complaining about the 60 degree weather, it's life's good. And that's a challenge because there are a million things to do. Um, and it's such a it's such a different time. So that's the challenge. And as long as the league understands that and they got a great deal with TV, right, Jeff? They got yeah. CBS on board. Oh, yeah. That, that um, was that was the last thing also that I wanted to bring up is, you know, yeah, guess who be good. guess who carries the Super Bowl this year? CBS. CBS. And and what have we been seeing throughout the end of the regular season in the playoffs is on CBS promos for the Alliance. So guess what? You're going to probably get, you know, one or two promos for the Alliance on the most watched television program uh, of the year in the Super Bowl. So uh, it's not like people aren't going to hear about it. I think that 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 was kind of fortuitous how it worked out like that. So um, I, will, I will say that if, it won't happen. But if they if the league can somehow convince CBS to have Tony Romo call their games, people will watch. I know I will because <laughs> I'll watch anything. Tony might need Romo. a job in the spring. Yeah, let's see. I, I, shoot, I would be. I, I would if I was CBS. I'd put him out there. Why not? He's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, he was the he was the MVP of the uh, of the AFC Championship, in my opinion, no question. So, and he's the only reason why I'll watch the Super. All right. So once again, thanks to Tom and uh, and make sure you check out the Apollos as their opening kickoff is on Saturday night, uh, February the 9th, uh, six days after the Super Bowl. All right. Now ball coach, Steve yep. And the ball now coach. Ball yeah. Coach. Yep. We've got uh, a couple of updates I wanted to, uh, that I wanted to pass along. Tennis is underway. Uh, yeah. for UCF tennis, not just talking about the Australian Open that you two knuckleheads stay up all night watching. Um, men's tennis uh, is, uh, they got off to, uh, it, they started their season on January 19th at Arkansas. They lost 4-3, to three, but they head out to uh, Northern California. They play Stanford and then either Oregon or Minnesota this weekend uh, in Palo Alto at the ITA kickoff weekend. So, And that's before they come back on the 31st, uh, a Thursday at 6 o'clock to play Florida uh, at the uh, Collegiate Tennis Center at the USTA National Campus. So that'll be their home opener down at the uh, down at the National Tennis Center against the Gators Thursday, January 31st. We gotta go, Jeff. We gotta go, yeah. You know, yeah. No excuses this year. I know. I want to go. I want to go for, I want to see if I can go for that match, too. It's a Thursday night. I'm seeing if I can bring Connor. That should be fun. Um, women's tennis is already two and one on the season. They beat Georgia Southern on January 18th 
and then beat Stetson but, uh, the same day, seven nothing. Uh, they're already ranked. Uh, they're they're ra- they started the season ranked number twenty. Um, lost Florida State five to two, and Florida State's number fifteen. So UCF dropped down to number twenty two in the uh, in, in the all important rankings, right, Eric Lopez? So in uh, there, I don't get Coach <laughs> started. Off. I know. So in the ITA kickoff weekend, they are facing Northwestern on Saturday. And then they, who's ranked number twenty, and then either number seventeen Miami or number twenty three Tulsa on Sunday. So that's on the twenty sixth and the twenty seventh. So pretty good schedule. Yeah, these teams they have some serious schedules. These teams, man. The women's team is Baylor, Alabama, Ole Miss, Florida, Yale, Tulane, Penn. Um, these Ivy League schools are amazing at tennis, by the way. Um, Illinois, FIU, USF, obviously men's team. On their schedule, Miami, Tulane, Penn State, UVA, uh, who, if I'm not mistaken, they won, they won a national championship just recently, UVA, Texas Tech, FAU, USF, it just goes on and well, on. Virginia's so. a powerhouse when it yeah. comes to men's and women's tennis. In fact, they just had uh, one of their former their alums, uh, Collins, make the semifinals in the Australian Open. And that's, look, I mean, we, we've had Coach Roddick on and Coach Koneko on last year, and they both talked about it. You're starting to see more – the college product in tennis is so much better now because you're seeing more and more good players going in and playing college instead of just going straight to the pros. Right. And you're, start, you're starting to see the results in the professional level with these college players having success. So, um, and, and really, again, credit to Danny White, as I will mention again. You've got two tennis programs that could be top 25 teams. Remember, the men's team didn't make the tournament. They just missed last year. They were so young. Uh, and then the women's team made the NCAA tournament for the first time in like 16 years, won the first round, second round. You could have, Jeff, could it be? That's going to be the interesting storyline. Can both men and women tennis actually make the tournament in the same year, both be top 25 teams? That's remarkable. Keep in mind, they both will host the American Conference Championships. We'll be in Lake Nona this year in April. Yeah, and that should be fun too, so we'll be keeping an eye on that as uh as the season uh progresses we're gonna go out there boys we gotta get out there. yeah i want to get out there because i know there. how beautiful it is i want to i want to pick a nice weather day you know it's, we got some good ones coming up too, elo so we'll have to head on out there murph i know you want to come out there too so and we'll have to talk yeah, to our well, no, a former a former ucf sid brian ormiston i was just gonna say he's yeah tell, he's been telling That's me to come reason. out there as well yeah we gotta we That's gotta get really with uh we gotta get with bormo and head on and head on down there so I, mm-hmm. I, 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 on behalf of the entire uh, media outlet, I would like to apologize to Bormo for not going down there sooner. But we're going to make it down there this year. By God, it's going to happen. Don't worry, he'll yell, he'll yell, he'll yell at us, especially Murph. He, uh, well, he has he hasn't seen us in like a couple years, so he has like a lot of yelling at us to like make up for. So, um, <laughs> the uh, oh, uh, some other uh, news and notes from UCF. A couple contract extensions got announced in the last couple days. Uh, first, Todd Dagenet, head volleyball coach, uh, with a contract extension through uh, 2023. Of course, he's coming off um, the, the, his team's best season under his guidance um, with that amazing uh, winning streak that they had, finished 27-4 and conference championship. Todd is signed through 2023. It was actually a two-year extension of his contract. Uh, so, and well-deserved, of course, I'm going to say this because, you know, I've known Todd since he came to UCF, um, well-deserved, undefeated, uh, conference record last year, American coach of the year for the second time in his career, and actually pushed UCF into the rankings, the top 25 for the first time in program history. Um, he's, uh, 25 wins now 
from breaking Lucy McDaniel's all-time program record uh, of uh, of two, she stands at two thirty-six. He's twenty-five away. One more good year, and he could possibly break that um, as well and become the winningest head volleyball coach in UCF history. So. Uh, well done for Todd. And another extension to um, pass along as well. Uh, on the men's soccer side, Scott Calabrese, uh, head coach, just signed to a contract uh, extension through 2023. Um, he's coming off of his second year at UCF where the Knights uh, had a, a, was a, they were the conference regular season champs. Uh, they finished 13-3-3. and Obviously a heartbreaking loss in the first round of the NCAA, but uh, in, his two, in his two years at UCF, uh, the Knights are 21-5-6. and uh, So that gives you a really good idea of how, uh, of how Scott Calabrese has uh, picked up the baton and uh, turned this program in the, in the right direction. So, um, so, yeah, it looks like... And I'll have to go back and, I'll look, and look at exactly who's locked up through when, but... Um, a, a result, results breed. Uh, it's it's the spoils. You know, to the victor goes the spoils, right? Um, and certainly Scott Calabrese and Todd Dagenet have have coached their teams into that proper position, and they're both excellent coaches. And we really appreciate their support on the show as they have as they have had as well, right, Eric? That's right. If you come on this show, you're going to get extended. (laughs) We come in, right, Murph? You come in the show, you get taken care of. uh, Or if you win a conference championship, that might help. Yeah, we win a conference championship, you know, all that kind of stuff. Why not? But no, look, I mean, that's the thing about Denny White, and I think the message is clear. If you're successful, you're going to get taken care of. Yeah. And let's be honest. I mean, both of them getting these extensions, I'm sure uh, that both know those names have probably came up for other jobs in volleyball and men's soccer. And you want to just nip that right away from a recruiting standpoint and from everything, not that they were looking to leave, but that's, that's how this, this works. If you, if, if you're successful, your name gets floated at other jobs. And so, uh, but he's, you know, Danny's done this with all the coaches. I know Abe's gotten extensions, uh, Tiff's, I mean, everybody's gotten extensions there. And if you win and you are successful, you're going to get taken care of. And I think that's a positive message to send out to your coaches that, Hey, you, you, if you perform, you produce on and off the field because academics is a big is a part of this as well. Both sides have done well academic wise, but certainly on the on the court winning the mm-hmm. conference championship, you're gonna get taken care of. Cool. All right. So uh, feel free to come on to us. If you come on yeah. with us, you will definitely be on the. If you're you, all out there. If you're all you coaches, you come on to our show. You're, think good things happen. It's the, the old it's the old it's the old BGB bump. That's right. Why not? <laughs> like it. Let's go. Let's copy. A uh, couple things I wanted to uh, – one more uh, note I wanted to pass along. Uh, Shaquem Griffin was actually back in town this week for uh, to receive the um, 2019 NCAA Inspiration Award at the 2019 uh, NCAA Honors Celebration. The NCAA uh, convention is in town, so it was good to see uh, Shaquem back in his old uh, stomping grounds and, and getting, again, a well-deserved uh, award for him. Uh, and then one other thing that came by that, that you and I, I know, are really excited about, um, Eric Lopez, the UCF Hall of Fame uh, is uh, cranking back up. They're, uh, they're dusting off the uh, nominations for the Hall of Fame uh, for the first time in four years. Uh, and, you nice. can, and you can submit nom- – anyone can submit nominations for a Hall of Fame uh, for the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. But we've been working on this for a while now, uh, talking about future UCF Hall of Famers. You and I had both heard some rumors that they were trying to start the Hall of Fame back up. 
there uh, there is an inkling to put to actually physically build a UCF Athletics Hall of Fame within one of the new buildings on campus over by the athletic complex. Um, I hope that they do that because that's something that we really, really do have to do. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, it, 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 this is this is fun to see, and and I think they only it's a maximum of five in the class. They plan on doing it once every two years. They skipped it in 2017. I don't know why, but um, but they are planning on doing this again. So we've we just posted it was Hall of Fame weekend. It was Hall of Fame weekend for uh, for uh, elections for baseball. Murph, I know you and I were really excited about Mariano Rivera becoming the first unanimous selection. In baseball Hall of Fame history, I think if uh, uh, and I'll just I'll just put this to you guys. I'll, first of all, let me tell everyone listening that if you go to our website and you search for future UCF Hall of Famers, you'll see a bunch of articles that we've done on football players and also one that sort of lists all the baseball players. We're going to have several of them coming out over the next uh, couple of weeks on different uh, sports and also finishing off the football ones, but. I will just ask of you guys at the moment. Now, I think it's a t- – what is it, Eric? It's a 10-year eligibility? Yeah, although I, I kind of read – I read some of their deals. There, there's a chance that you might even be eligible at seven years. But, yeah, I, I did my oh, based on 10 yeah. years he, eligibility. Here, here it is. Uh, Student-athletes who completed their eligibility and immediately graduated from UCF will be eligible July 1st, seven years following completion of their eligibility. Uh, Student-athletes who left UCF prior to the completion of their eligibility, so someone who left school early, but subsequently received right, like a degree. Right, player that goes early. Right. Yeah. Now, now, that's the trick. You have to have received your degree. Um, it will mm-hmm. be eligible on July 1st, 10 years following the date they left UCF. So if you left early, uh, that would put you in 2009 territory. If you graduate, you got your degree, you're looking at 2012. So I'll... I'll I'll throw it to you guys. Give me one UCF athlete that you know graduated who should be like a surefire Hall of Famer uh, based on – for for whatever sport that you want. Give me one name that you think they should consider right now. (laughs) I know, Eric, you have like like 50. We'll let you start. (laughs) That's the problem. In all seriousness, I mean, there's going to be a lot of names. And you mentioned this. By skipping this – that 2017, they are. There's a lot of names, like in football, for example. Do they go Kevin? You know, for this year, do they go Kevin Smith? Well, Kevin Smith's coaching at FAU. Do they put George O'Leary? What you know, coaches? What's the criteria with coaches? Do they put him right away? Um, you know, do they put a guy like Brandon Marshall, who I think I have a feeling. Call me conspiracy guy. Brandon Marshall, help me out here, Jeff, because I think you saw this live. Maybe you did too, Murph where Brandon Marshall was on one of the NFL Network pregame shows or something like that, and he was yes. singing the UCF fight song or something. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he was on NFL yeah, Network. Yeah, we, tweet, we tweeted it out on NFL Network. Makes, and he his last year was 05. Now, I don't know if he got his degree and when he did, when did he get but I do know he's been back on the UCF campus. I think he's certainly a contender to be inducted soon here in the Hall of Fame. So I, I, I don't know, man. It's tough because – there's going to be a lot of interesting cases. The one thing I will say, I'll go, I'll go this way. Um, Clay Tipner, I think, needs to be the next baseball player to get inducted. The guy is phenomenal. He inducted D. Brown when we were there, Jeff, in 2015. I think he needs to be the next baseball player. Um, the question, and then I think that beyond that, it depends on how what direction you want to go. Do you put Kevin Smith in now, or do you wait till his coaching? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's the. Those are some of the things they're going to have to figure out. 
But I think Clay Timner is the baseball basketball. Do you go to Dexter Lyons or do you go right to Jermaine Taylor? See, and that's where this competition is going to be very interesting. Mm. But uh, and not even we're not even talking about the women's sports and the competition that's going to be there uh, as far as all the sports. So this is going to be fascinating how they come up with it. And only limiting it to five really, really makes it very difficult. I, by the way, I can confirm that Brandon Marshall, even though he left UCF one year early uh, with one year of eligibility remaining, did in fact complete his bachelor's degree in 2006. So he is so he's eligible. eligible. Yes. And I, I, I think that could be – I could see him being the next football player to be inducted – and that way they'll buy some time with Kevin Smith because it's depending on this is the thing we don't know, Jeff, right? At the time of this recording is when is this Hall of Fame going to take place? Is it going right. to be in the spring like it's been or are they going to move it to the fall? Because that could impact who's available and who's not available to attend. Well, they, they are accepting nominations until midnight on February 3rd. And I don't see yep. anything in the release about. I may or may not about... have already sent in my. Uh, I may or may not have sent in some of my articles. You can send them in. Uh, yeah, yeah. We may as well just send them the send them the whole giant you know, list of articles that we've that we've done already. Uh, Murph, I'll throw it to you. Uh, since uh, player who's graduated since two thousand nine or left early before twenty twelve, who do you think would be like has to be in? Yeah, it, I, it's interesting how. Uh... Eric brought up uh, Dexter Lyons and, and uh, Jermaine Taylor, which made, made me think of Josh Peppers kind of right away. Yeah. Like he's sort of in that he's sort of in, in that realm as well. Um, and, you know, look, Chris Duffy probably doesn't deserve the Hall of Fame aspect, but he just does for the fact that he is like one of the greatest uh, UCF sports anecdotes of all time, which would be his, the class of 2010 Golden Spikes Award finalists, of which Chris W. was one of five. The other four in 2010 were uh, University of Miami alum Yasmani Grandal, Univ- University of Mississippi alum Drew Pomeranz. Yeah, pretty good. Florida Gulf, Florida Gulf Coast alum Chris Sale. Pretty good. And some ca- some catcher out of Southern Nevada named Bryce Harper. Never heard of him. Wow. <laughs> and so... Who used to play Major League Baseball, but he's no longer. He's not right now because no one wants to pay him a dime. Uh, So that alone was like, wow, maybe we should just put Chris Duffy on that list alone because obviously those other guys are pretty good. Um, you, know, you mentioned you mentioned that. I mean, I, in my story the, that I just came out with the baseball, his numbers are really good in his career. I mean, you might be yeah. surprised. Obviously, his last year was a monster year. It's the best that monster year, though. Ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. I mean, it, it, I, I can see him getting consideration, but he's not going to be the first guy getting in. I think a Clay Timmons no. gets in before him. Maybe even a, That's fine. a Shane Brown or Oma. I mean, that baseball is going to have a lot of guys. You talk about competition. Holy – that was a hard article just to limit it to the numbers that I did because there's a ton of players. And, Jeff, you've brought it up. They've done a great job of honoring a lot of their players uh, with their all of honor on the wall there. Yeah. That's going to be interesting over the coming years there. I mean, I've been asked about softball, for example. Is it going to be Allison Kime? Or is it going to be Janae Hoster? Is it going to be both? I don't know. That's going to be interesting uh, how they figured this out, in, not just this year, but in coming years. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, think, I personally think that uh, I, I would go with Jermaine Taylor um, just because if you think about, like, who – if you just threw out, like, who are the best players – for UCF at any particular sport that we've seen, I, I think Jermaine takes the cake. He's the all-time D1 scoring leader. Um, I hope he gets in. I don't know. I wish they didn't. The problem is, I wish they didn't limit it to five people. 
I wish they just right. they, I wish they just had the class be like, you know, look, there's a there's a threshold and however many like the baseball hall of fame, however many guys make the threshold get in and however many don't don't. Um yeah, so I don't know. It, it, but then again, they don't put us in charge unfortunately. Uh so we'll be uh, so sending your nominations for uh, over to UCF Athletics and we'll continue to um blast these stories out uh, all the way up and all the way up through that uh, February 3rd um deadline so that should be uh, a lot of fun to see uh, I- i'm looking forward to it i know the last time we had the induction we- you and i got to cover it eric and we saw the 78 volleyball yep. team we saw d brown we saw stephanie best got got in and asante samuel got in too so um they did a great job with it the last time i'm hoping they i'm hoping that you know the, the first danny white led ucf um hall of fame induction um, they go, they really uh, do it up nice, and I have every reason to think that they would. All right, let's finish this thing up as we uh, uh, roll out through what. No, this won't be our last show in January. We got one more coming up before next week. Um, uh, uh, Brian, we'll start with you. Uh, what do you got coming up that you're working on? Well, tomorrow, which will be Friday, is kind of busy. We'll, we'll have uh, basketball availability uh, tomorrow early afternoon. Uh, so we'll talk to Coach Dawkins and a couple of players about the game at Memphis on Sunday. And then that is immediately proceeding baseball media day out at the John in which uh, we'll have 10 players, including Coach Lovelady and other coaches, uh, talking to us. Last year we had a similar setup. It lasted like an hour. So I'll be out at UCF baseball for quite a long time tomorrow talking to guys as we are about three weeks away from the start of baseball season. Yeah, are you are you gonna bring like the RV out there and just camp out? Camp out overnight. Yeah, <laughs> yes. definitely camp out overnight. <laughs> just right there in the outfield, right by the, right by the, uh, <laughs> right by the party deck. Elo, what do you got? I'm gonna be following Brian all uh, all over the place on uh, Friday as well. I mean, I've got a I got a longer day than Murph does. I will be interviewing. <laughs> I'll be over at softball because I gotta try to record an interview with uh, the new head coach, Sidney Ball Malone. For not only the Banneret, but for Fast Pitch News, getting ready for the softball season, uh, trying to cross some dots there. Then I'm going to head over for basketball media availability. As soon as Murph tells me when I need to show up for that, I'll show up to that. Uh, <laughs> uh, because I don't know if I've been the one this year, but I'll try to go to this one. Um, and then I'll be at Baseball Media Day to hear Coach Lovelady, and uh, and I'll try to ask Lovelady his Royal Rumble predictions maybe off the on the side uh, when everybody's done with their, quote, baseball questions. Um, <laughs> to get the important story <laughs> whatever uh so yeah i'll be over there i might just email megan herbeth and find out what women's basketball is doing just hit them up to just catch everybody just go catch everybody and then later that night i'm covering magic wizards uh which is my other gig i do is a playoff implications <laughs> in the eastern conference playoff um, implications playoffs. and then uh, on the banner as jeff has mentioned i'm going to continue my series hall of famers who i think which ucf athletes should be considered for the Hall of Fame uh, in in various sports. Uh, baseball yeah. one just came out. Murph was outraged. He screamed at me. Was, <laughs> yes, uh, um, yes. He wanted Mariano Rivera in there too. I barely no. Um, not just kidding. Uh, we're gonna have other sports come in and also football as well. We're gonna have softball, basketball, uh, all the athletes. Feel free to at me and complain that I left somebody out because I'm sure I did. Because we're already I'm getting those, by the way, Eric. I, I should I should mention well, I from the baseball. Sympathy. One. I have no sympathy. 
yeah, I have no sympathy for the committee because I, this is not going to be easy. I blame I, I blame our friend uh, our, our friend Sam Unger who who is who is a huge UCF about. baseball fan. He hasn't he hasn't he hasn't gotten mad at us about any of these, but like for crying out loud, he's like. I'm sure that he tells people. I'm sure that Sam tells people, "Hey, you gotta get, you gotta mention this guy or that guy, especially for baseball." Because I know, I know how much Sam cares about UCF baseball. But I want to thank Sam again uh, for his uh, for his help. Though, in all seriousness, he's he's been a tremendous help. So thanks again to Sam. Thanks again to you guys. Make sure you follow us uh, individually on Twitter: Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter. Follow all of us collectively at UCF underscore banneret. I've got a couple things actually coming up. I'm looking back at, uh, I'm doing a little twofer. Uh, we're looking at veteran UCF Knights in the NFL, how everybody did, who had the best year, who did not. Um, and we're also going to look at the rookie class as well. And I'm going to look at, uh, intro- at mentioning a couple of the guys who are on the Orlando Apollos um, roster from UCF. We'll be, uh, we'll be kicking off with them on the night. So uh, be on the lookout for those pieces as well. Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. If you want to follow us on Facebook, please do. We post all of our stuff there as well. Uh, and of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for your UCF nights. Subscribe to this podcast. Give us a rating as well on uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Tune in. Leave us a comment. Tell us how we're doing. Uh, we love to hear from you as well. And make sure you can reach out to us as well on Twitter and uh, also at Black and Gold Banneret. For Eric Lopez and Brian Murphy, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy the weekend. We'll catch you next week.